in just fantastic, fantastic ways. Uh, I'm not sure if in your life you have moments when all of you say, sudden you say, oh, sure, why didn't I realize that? I had one of those moments at General Assembly time. And those of you that are new to the Church of Nazarene, every four years, Nazarene from around the world get together. And those of you that know the Church of Nazarene say, well, that's what General Assembly is supposed to be when you say, get a new vision and understand what the Lord is doing. Well, hang with me a moment. It didn't happen maybe the way you think in that big convention hall. We were having missionary convention. Uh, we'd stopped for lunch. And I went across the street to look for something to eat. Now, you need to know that my parents were British. And so they I can remember them talking in the car as we're driving across country. What are we going to have for dinner was always noon for them, you know, and supper was always later. And they'd say, what are we going to have for dinner? Uh, and Dad would say, well, let's have a proper meal. And by proper, I knew that that meant we we're going to sit down for a meal. Well, I was anxious to have a proper meal. I was kind of hungry. So I finally found a place and went in. And I noticed that the couple right in front of me didn't speak any English. I'd grown up speaking Spanish in Latin America, Colombia, and Peru. So I just leaned over and offered to help. And they said, oh, that would be wonderful. So I proceeded to explain to them what a Big Mac is. <laughs> <laughs> and what a quarter pounder is. And then I placed the order for this couple. And I noticed that as I was placing the order for the couple, the lady kept looking at my name tag. I'd just gone right from the convention right across the street and hadn't taken my name tag off. And as soon as I placed the order, she said to me, Do you know a Samuel and a Gladys Heap? I said, Sure. They're my parents. She said, well, let me give you an abrazo, a hug. So standing right there in line in McDonald's, I received this great big Latino hug. And then her husband gives me a great big hug. And I said, now tell me, it, it pays to wear your name tag to McDonald's. You know, I said to them, tell me, why did you want to give me an abrazo? And the lady who was a spokesman for the two of them said, well, I never met your parents, but because they came to the village in Colombia, way interior Colombia, where my parents lived, my parents came to know Jesus as their personal Savior. And I had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home. And I just wanted to thank you. And so I received that great big abrazo from that couple that day and thanked them for sharing that. And then I turned to them. And I said to them, what do you folks do in Colombia? She said, well, my husband and I pastor the Kali Columbia Church of the Nazarene. I said, wow, let me give you guys a hug. Because in case you don't know, Kali Columbia today is the largest church of the Nazarene around the world. And I left that General Assembly that year thinking two or three things. One was, I wonder how many years before that hug in McDonald's it had been that my parents went to that little village in Colombia. I didn't do very good on the math, so I wrote just a simple email to this couple. And in typical Latino style, I received a nice long letter back. 
And embedded in that letter was the response that it had been 50 years before. And this is what went through my mind. Thank you, Lord, for pioneer missionaries who went before us and faithfully, sacrificially paid the price, planting the good seed of the gospel, And the scripture that has kept coming back and over and over again to me as I look back over these years is one plants the good seed of the gospel. Another waters and cares for that good seed. And the Lord gives the increase. And according to Paul, all the honor and all the glory is for the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ. I remembered back to when my dad was planting churches in Colombia. Back then it was a period of persecution. When he would go to hold a service, he would get on the back of an open bed truck, hide among the groceries and other stuff that were on that truck, and along with some other people, he'd pull a felt hat down over his head and wear a poncho, and down in Colombia we'd call that a ruana. And as soon as he got to the village where he was going to hold a service, he would go to the home of some believers. Never, ever were they able to go to a big building with a big sign, Iglesia del Nazareno. And they would meet behind locked doors. And it would be one, two, maybe three families. But in spite of them meeting in a home, sometimes the mob would find out that they were there and come and break in and beat those people up. More than once, my dad had to take members, newborn believers, to the hospital in Bogota, the capital. And I've never forgotten the story he shared with us one time after he got home. That that weekend, the mob had broken into a home. The man that owned the house delivered pop or soda. And he had crates of those bottles there in the back of his pickup And the mob had gone and gotten those bottles and proceeded to use them as weapons. And when the police finally came and broke up the mob, my dad went to console the people. And there was a brand new believer kneeling in the middle of the floor. The blood was running down over his white shirt. They had damaged his eye. And dad tried to console this guy. And he looked up and said, Don Samuel, I'm not worthy to shed this blood for Jesus. And moments before, when that mob had arrived, Dad had taken the little children to the backyard, realizing that people were going to be hurt. He looked at the people looking over the wall. If you've been to Latin America, you know that there are usually tall walls around most of our properties there. And he looked at a man that was looking over, And he said, take these little children. They're innocent. They haven't done anything wrong. And that man with hatred in his heart and a stone in his hand said, no, we're going to kill all of you today. Folks, that happened in my lifetime. So that means that it happened in the lifetime of many of us that are here. And to think that today... The largest church of the Nazarene is in Cali, Colombia. 
And I want to emphasize this, and I hope you don't get tired of hearing me say it today. It didn't just happen. But it happened because people like us here intentionally, lovingly, sacrificially sent missionaries who planted, others watered, and the Lord has given the increase. Two missionary couples that have gone from this area of the country to plant the work in Brazil in our denomination, Earl and Gladys Mosteller, Jim and Carol Kratz, had the privilege of knowing them and working with them. And I think, thank you, Lord, for people that made it possible for Earl and Gladys and Jim and Carol to go to Brazil. Well, the church has grown in Brazil. When we went, there's 1,200 Nazarenes. There are now just under 120,000 Nazarenes in Brazil. Not a bad return, would you say? Just exciting to see the growth. And it's not just the Nazarene Church, of course. There are other wonderful evangelical groups. I was telling Esther a few moments ago that Assemblies of God have 12 million members in Brazil. And the growth of the evangelical church is to the point that the government, in its official census form, now has a column to show the growth of the evangelical church. And the last few years, it's been growing at a rate of 10% each year. Isn't that amazing? To think, to go from persecution to now a church that's just growing. I was listening to, um, listen to, I listen to way too much radio, by the way, because I'm spending hours. I've been put 40,000 miles on the car this year and traveled in 25, 26 states. And I was listening to radio and listening to BBC. And here is a totally secular program talking about how the church, and I quote in Latin, uh, the evangelical church in Brazil is growing by leaps and bounds. And I thought, this is amazing. And for an hour, they talked about how the evangelical church is growing in Brazil. So we can be thankful. Amen? We can rejoice. We can celebrate that because we are a part of what's happening there. People sometimes say to me, well, why is the church growing that way? I've mentioned because people planted, others watered, and the Lord has given the increase. But let me mention one other factor, and I'm going to mention about three or four factors here this morning. Another reason that the church is growing is because it's revival time. The Spirit of God is sweeping across Brazil. You can't program, you can't buy revival. I can remember when I was in college preparing to be a missionary, reading about revival, then going across the street to a little prayer chapel and praying, Lord, do it again, do it again. And what I didn't realize was that one of the countries that the Lord was going to do it again was Brazil. And we'd have the privilege of being in Brazil at that time. And so when I go into communities and I see the church, I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this hunger. Thank you for the people that just are longing, yearning after you. And I went to one of my friends in Brazil. He puts videos together. I said, Guilherme. I'm going to be in the United States speaking, North America. Um, is there any way that you can put a video together that shows the people in worship and they can, people that see it can capture a little the hunger that's in the heart of the Brazilians for God? I think he did a good job. 
So we're going to see that video now. Uh, and then afterwards, I'd like to come back and just tell you. One of the things that's just amazed me in Brazil is to see how the Lord has used individuals, sometimes inexperienced, sometimes uh, more energy, maybe more zeal than wisdom. But one of the young people walked into our senior pastor's office in Campinas, that's the big church I've already mentioned, and he said, Pastor Aguiar, I've got a good idea. Have you noticed how young people always have good ideas? And he said, I've got a, good, a great idea, actually. And Pastor Aguiar said, well, what is it? So Josemar said, you know, the economy right now in Brazil is not doing well. What if we made a statement that ultimately our confidence isn't in the economy? Our confidence is in the Lord. Pastor Aguiar said, that would be great. What are you thinking? Well, I was thinking if we had a bumper sticker and our church could give it out to the people, we won't sell it, we just give it and everyone can put it on their car. And it'll be a reminder to people that our trust is in God. Well, let me see what you come up, what you came up with. And so he held up this bumper sticker. It says, Nas Mounds de Deus, in the hands of God. The idea being our lives, our confidence, our hope, our future, is in the hands of God. Pastor Aguiar looked at it and he said, that's very suggestive, I like it. But Josemar, I don't put bumper stickers on my car, do you? I'll put this one on, this is a good one. Pastor Aguiar looked at it and said, I don't think we need to do that. I don't think we'll do it. And so Josemar left, a little deflated, was walking through the parking lot to go to his car, and he saw Pastor Aguiar's car. So he looked around, and no one was watching him. And he peeled the backing off of the bumper sticker and just put it right on Pastor Aguiar's car. And then he went on home. A couple of hours later, Pastor Aguiar came out, didn't look at the back of his car like we don't when we get in the car, took off. Pastor Aguiar, being a high-profile individual in that community, has been warned to go home different ways, vary the time that he goes forth, and so forth, so on. And all of a sudden, he had someone tailgating him. And then they started honking their horns, so he sped up to try to get away from them and couldn't. So he finally just pulled over to the side of the road and walked back, and there's a lady driver. He said, what's wrong? She said, I want one of those. And he said, one of what? She said, that bumper sticker you've got. He said, I don't put bumper stickers on my car. She said, now you do. <laughs> and he looked, he said, I know where that came from. If you will come to my church tomorrow afternoon, I'll make sure I have a bumper sticker for you. And so as far as we know, that lady was the first person to willingly put the bumper sticker on their car. It took off, went viral. Last time I saw Josemar and asked him how many, and they've committed to not selling them, giving them away. How many have you given away? Over a million bumper stickers have been given out. Max Lucado was down there and heard the story. He said, I want some. I'm going to put them on my car. And uh, it's just gone all over in the hands of God. I have some, a few left. If you're interested, talk to me about it afterwards. And you'll say, oh, people won't know what it means. That's the beauty of it. They'll ask you. 
What does that mean? And you have an open door to witness. So if you're interested, let me know. Um, you know, I wish I could tell you this morning that everywhere we planted churches have taken off and grown. I can't. Sometimes people have come to me and said, we need to plant a church here and we've invested. It didn't take off. And one of those places was up in northeast Brazil called Maranguapi. Now, there's going to be a test at the end of the service. You've got to get all these names down, folks. Maranguapi. Um, the district superintendent called me. Oh, Pastor Hippie, we've got a problem. We started a church in the home of a believer, and it has grown to the point now that the home is full on Sunday night. That's when we have our big services in Brazil, Sunday night. And there are people standing outside, and they're blocking traffic. And the authorities have told us that we either need to stop holding services or relocate. What do you propose, Hubings? He said, I think if we help them buy land, they will build their own church building. They've got several construction types in their church. So if we can help them, do you have any way of helping us? And so I checked with Brenda, and we still had $15,000 in alabaster funds. That's not much, by the way. In these emerging countries, it might sound like a lot, but it really doesn't go far in buying a building or building a building. But we send it to them, $15,000. The next time I was up there, they wanted to show me the land that they had purchased. So the district, who, uh, Superintendent Hubings, and the pastor, Ivo, who used to be a professional soccer player. And just in case you weren't here earlier, I'm going around telling your kids and grandkids that you're going to send them to the Soccer World Cup next year, you know, and you grandparents would love to buy tickets for them. I'm already in trouble. I'm kidding. I'm kidding here. So anyway, here was evil. Here was Pastor Hoobings, and they said, that's the land we bought. And I looked at it, and it was swampland. And there's that much water there. I said, guys, you can't build here. And they said, no problem. I said, what do you mean no problem? Look at all the water. They said, we've already talked to the authorities, and they're going to lend us trucks and give us all the fill dirt we need, and we're going to build right here. I said, I don't think it's a good place to build. And then I smelled something. And as I was sniffing, I said, what is that I'm smelling? They said, oh, we bought land right next to a pig farm. <laughs> and they could tell I wasn't a happy camper. And I made a mental note that I would never tell people who have a great big alabaster box on their altar and gave just last week to alabaster that we used the money they gave to buy swampland next to a pig farm. And I'm going to tell you today. So probably because they realized I wasn't very happy the next time I was up there, they wanted me to go and see the building. And I was amazed that they already had a building up. Uh, I said to Pastor Hoobings, I said, the only night I have open this week is on Sunday night. He said, don't worry, I'll line someone up to take you out there. Hoobings lives in a 21-story apartment complex. He had to leave to pastor the church. He pastors. And so I just stood on the sidewalk and waited. Didn't know who was going to pick me up. And finally a guy comes and stops. Oh, Pastor Hippie. Estou aqui para lhe levar hoje à noite para a igreja de Maranguape. Pastor Heap, I'm here to take you to the Maranguape Church. I said, great. 
I jumped in that car, and we took off. Big city, Recife, million and a half people, and we were on our way to the next community, Maranguape. What I didn't realize was, this kid was training for NASCAR. <laughs> and he was driving so fast, I said, we've got time, you know, don't, don't worry. He said, no, I want to show you something. And all of a sudden, he turns down a little side street and stops. I said, now, now, you mount. In Maranguapi, que nos vamos hoje à noite. We're going to Maranguapi tonight. He said, I know, but I want to show you this. And so I get out of the car and walk over. And between two buildings, they had stretched some awning. And I peeked in there. And there were close to a hundred people worshiping the Lord there. I said, this is amazing. How did this happen? Who started this church? Oh, the church that we're going to now, Maranguapi, which at that point had been going maybe four years, they started this work. I said, wow, this is incredible. And then I was ready to go to the car and started back to the car. But the pastor had seen me. And he yelled out, oh, Pastor Hippie, venka, venka. Queremos que você pregue hoje à noite. We want you to preach tonight. I said, I'm sorry, but I'm scheduled to preach over at Maranguapi. Next time I'm in this area, I'll make sure I get back over here and preach in your church. He said, yeah, we know you're going to Maranguapi. We already called and told them that you're going to preach here first. <laughs> and then as soon as you're through preaching here, you'll go over to Maranguapi. So I was the only one that was out of the loop that night, you know. I got, went and got my Bible and preached just a very short message, and then we went over to Maranguapi. And when I walked into Maranguapi, it wasn't a, a building per se. Just three concrete columns on this side, three concrete columns here, and a roof over their head. Dirt floor. But there were 300 people worshiping the Lord there that night. I walked up to the platform, which was nothing more than a trailer that they had drug in there, taken the wheels off of that trailer, put rickety stairs on that end so that people could get up and down on each end, and right in the middle of this platform trailer, they put a wading pool, just like you'd have in your backyard in summer for your kids or grandkids. And so I leaned over to Pastor Evo, I said, are we having baptism tonight? Said, yeah. I think this is the third baptism we've had this year. Amazing. The same weekend, I received an email from the big church in the south, and they had had their annual baptism service. They had baptized 300 people one weekend. That sounds a little like Pentecost, doesn't it? And, and that's what's going on. So we had a great service that night at Maranguapi. I watched the people as they'd come forward to be baptized, and I'd watch them as they'd go down those stairs, and the people that had led them to the Lord would come and hug them. And they would just celebrate. And I thought, this is amazing. I grew up, as I've already mentioned, parents that were British and rather conservative, you know, and quiet and so forth. But over the years, I've learned to celebrate what the Lord is doing. And I would just stand there right next to that little waiting pool. I'd say, Amen! 
Glória a Deus. Aleluia. And rejoice with these people because they were so happy with what the Lord was doing in their lives. At the end of the service, I walked around as they were stacking the chairs. No wall, do you realize? So they had to stack the chairs and put chains around them after every service and padlock them. If not, they'll walk away during the week. So they were stacking the chairs. And I walked up to one of the guys that had been baptized. And this is the question I love to ask people everywhere. I've asked it here. How was it that the good seed of the gospel found its way to your heart? I've heard some of the most fantastic testimonies. It's been a while in many of our churches since we've heard testimonies of God's transforming grace. And I've enjoyed listening to them. I was in Alaska this year. I was in Canada. Stood in a parking lot in Arizona and heard a guy tell about a neighbor that cared for him and testified and insisted until he came to know Jesus. And that night I, I stood talking to this guy had been baptized and I said, what's your name? Gidu. Gidu, how did you come to know Jesus? He said, well, I live in that house there and if you don't have walls, it's so convenient. You don't have to go out the front door to look, you know. He said, that's my house there, and that's where the church started, in that home there. I said, wonderful. So it was real convenient. No, I hated it. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Why? Why did you hate it? He said, well, I'm a trucker, and I want to sleep at night. And the services would go till 10 o'clock at night. So I turned my radio up, did everything I could to disrupt and I was hoping these people would move on. I told my wife she couldn't go. And she promptly started to attend. <laughs> and then I heard from the neighbors that every Thursday, when the women had their prayer meeting, my wife was putting in a prayer request, pray that my husband Guido will come to know Jesus. And he looked at me with a great big smile and he said, I can now say, I and my family serve the Lord. I said, that's powerful. He said, do you realize, I, I used to be involved in voodoo. We call it macumba in Brazil. Fear of evil spirits. And so you do everything you can to appease and placate evil spirits. And he said, Jesus Christ set me free. And I thanked Gidu for sharing that testimony that evening. I said, one final thing, Gidu. You're one of the most enthusiastic drummers I've ever seen. I watched you tonight. You're just all over those drums. Were you a drummer before you came to know Jesus? How did that happen? No. I always had the dream of being a drummer. And as soon as I was converted, I thought, what can I do to help in this church? There is something in me, a strong desire to be involved, to help. So I went to Pastor Evil and I said, Pastor Evil, we don't have drums here. Would it be okay if uh, we got some drums and I'll learn how to play them? Pastor Evil said, that's fine, but we can't afford drums. So I said, no problem, I'll buy them. And then I went and checked on the price of drums and I said, whoa, I can't afford to buy drums. 
They said, so when you're in that house, you didn't have drums, and now you've got these here? No, when we were in that house, I did what I could. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I went and got two pasteboard boxes, and I played the pasteboard boxes. And I looked at him just like you're looking at me. I said, pasteboard boxes? Caixas de papa? Yeah, pastor, isso mesmo. I said, you can't play pasteboard boxes. He said, come on, I'll show you. So we made a beeline for his house. When you don't have walls, you know, it's coming in. We walked right to his house, and he picked up an album and started showing me. And lo and behold, there he was on a little bitty stool, sitting in front of two pasteboard boxes. And I looked a little closer, and I said, what did you use for drumsticks? He said, oh, I would walk through the kitchen on the way to the church, and I'd pick up the longest wooden spoons that my wife had, and that's what I used for drumsticks. It's amazing, isn't it? If we really, really, really want to do something, we're going to find a way to do it. Well, that night when I was there, they had a beautiful set of drums. Three years ago, they called us up, Pastor Evil. We're going to have our 10th anniversary. And we want you to be here. And we want you and your wife to come and speak about building strong Christian homes and keeping our marriage vows pure. Will you do that? I said, we'd be honored to. So Brenda and I went. I need to tell you real quickly, those of you that are educators, Brenda volunteered to have a seminar. And Pastor Ibu thought that she could speak to maybe, maybe he thought 40 educators would come. When we got there Saturday afternoon, 102 educators showed up for a seminar on special ed. So I asked Pastor Ibu, how did that happen? He said, no problem. I went to the television station and said, an internationally recognized authority on special education was going to be speaking at our church. We had a great weekend. Preached Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. We had a hundred couples at the front of that church renewing their marriage vows. And I preached to 1,200 people that night. And when I left there that weekend, I said, thank you, Lord, for pastors, spirit-filled leaders, who can see what you're wanting to do in places I'd have said, it won't work here. And thank you, Lord, for evil and that group of believers that have just persisted and prayed and prayed the glory down in that place so that now it's known that people that are hooked on drugs can go to the Church of the Nazarene and they will pray and they will help them. That those who need medical care, they can go there. That those that need dental care can go there and they've got a program. The kids from school that aren't doing well, they've got a tutor. On and on and on. So it won't surprise you when I tell you that Last, just, just before this past Christmas, I received an email from Pastor Evil. We're get, getting ready to expand for the third time further into that swampland. And if there are any curious people here like I am, you're probably wondering if those pigs are still out there, aren't you? I took a deep whiff last time I was there, and they're still out there. And it doesn't bother me one bit. Because the church, in spite of its location, is doing what the church is supposed to do. 
Will you guys forgive us for on that end using the alabaster fund you gave in that way? Will you forgive us? And uh, I've I've thought of that place, and I, I repeat, not all of them are like that. Many of our groups of congregations meet in small homes. Many of them in the jungle area, especially meet under under trees. Uh, meet on boats, on and on and on, and that's how the church is going in Brazil. I've really prayed, and I want to say it here in closing. I hope you don't go home and say, isn't it great what those guys are doing down there? I hope you can say, thank you, Lord. We're a part of that. Amen? Thank you, Lord, that we're a part of what's going on in Brazil. Thank you, Pastor.